The Athletic. Hello there, Ali Maxwell here from the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. The WSL is a fascinating division this year with a very intriguing title race. My co-host Michael Cox has been loving every second of it. This week he joined the Athletic Women's Football podcast to talk about what was a fabulous weekend with two huge games that took place. Chelsea against Arsenal on Friday night and the Manchester derby on Sunday. Please enjoy a portion of Michael's appearance on the podcast. It's an excellent episode which you can listen to in full on the Athletic Women's Football podcast feed. But here's a taster. First up then, the Chelsea-Arsenal-London derby, the big title decider. It may have ended nil-nil, but what a spectacle. Midfielder Mar, did you get it? Masterminded a next-level Arsenal attack and Kerr, Kirby and Harder came so close for Chelsea. There were bodies on the line, a disallowed goal and handball appeals right down to the wire. But Arsenal emerged with their two-point lead at the top still intact. To chat through this with us, we're joined by the Athletics' titan of tactical analysis, Michael Cox. How are you, Michael? Very well. Thanks for that introduction, Kate. (laughs) You were there at Kings Meadow for this game, Michael. And I just wondered initially to start us off with, which side leads the happier from this matchup? I think Arsenal, looking at the table, I think it was important that they didn't lose this game, especially after how badly the FA Cup final went for them. So yeah, I think Arsenal come out a bit stronger, but I think in terms of the game, it was pretty even. It was quite a good nil-nil in the sense there were chances. There was dominance in in different periods for both sides. But um, yeah, I think Arsenal will be relatively content with it. Um, I suppose the difference from maybe this game a couple of years ago, or, or even last season, would be that these teams are dropping more points to the rest of the sides in the league. So I think previously we'd look at this and think that's a bit of a title decider and some other points, uh, you know, easy to rack up. But that hasn't been the case this season. So I kind of came away from it thinking that the winner was the WSL. One, because the title race is still very much on. And two, because there's so many opportunities for all the other sides in the league to, to play a part in the title race as well great attacking moments and of course both defences played a really important part in this naturally as well for you what was most interesting did you look at the role that Miedemar was playing you know drop back behind Blackstenius was it the Chelsea defence what kind of really really stuck out to you here as something that really worked really favoured their side I mean it was a funny game where I didn't think there was any real defining characteristic you know, that, that settled the game. Obviously, the game wasn't settled at all. But yeah, I mean, mid my midfield, I think, was was interesting. That deeper role behind Blackstenius. You have to think that's probably how Arsenal are going to play for for the foreseeable future until the end of the campaign. And then obviously, there's a, a question about whether Miedemar's there next season. But I thought that worked really well. Those those front two seemed like they, they had a, a good relationship. Mm. I think the only thing lacking maybe was sometimes when the ball was wide, Blackstenius obviously you know, hasn't been playing in this side for that long and, and maybe didn't anticipate some of the crosses coming into the box. And maybe if she had done it, then there would have been a couple more goal-scoring chances. But, I mean, I think both sides played quite well. I thought that the level of the game was really good. And I think Chelsea, you know, in the second half had, had some periods of dominance as well. I think maybe the most impressive thing from, from the game is not something we really kind of think of as, you know, tactical analysis or that kind of thing, but there's so much good last-ditch defending. I mean, I think, you know, some of the blocks that Arsenal got in, I thought Millie Bright was just really fantastic in the last 10 minutes when there were some aerial balls to deal with. And Jess Carter as well, I think twice in a row, she's been absolutely outstanding for Chelsea. 
against Manchester City when they had to weather the storm in the last 20, 30 minutes. I think she was just really solid defensively. Maybe a, you know, a bit more of a, a natural defender than some of the fullbacks we see uh, these days. But uh, yeah, it was there was no defining characteristic, but I thought overall the quality was was fantastic. Talking of defence, it feels only right to hand to our resident defender and, of course, the Chelsea former Chelsea defender as well, Claire Rafferty. Claire, is there something you'd like to task Michael with? Yeah, Michael, I was just wondering your opinion on the defensive back line for Chelsea. Do you think moving forward they're going to stick with the four rather than three? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I thought that the really interesting game in this respect was the cup final when they kind of... It looked like they were going to play with a three, but they ended up with a four, with everyone almost shifting across, like with with uh, Magda Eriksson almost played left back that that day, and Jess Carter was the right sided centre back, and then I think Erin Cuthbert dropped in as the right back, didn't she? It was um, it's been interesting to watch their development this season, but uh, yeah, I suppose it is it is probably likely to be a, a four going forward. I mean, how how would you kind of as a, as a defender yourself? How easy was it to switch between the systems? Because Chelsea made it look quite easy this season, going, you know, between the, from the four to the three, back to the, the four. But is that easy for a player, or are there adjustments to make? I think as as a wing back, it depends how tired you are. Because obviously, playing with <laughs> at the three, playing in the wing back position, you've got a lot more running to do. But I think I actually preferred um, the four just because I I enjoyed the defending part of the game and kind of the basics that come with that. But I think when it comes to their, their two centre-back positions shifting to the three, I, I always liked playing with the three because I just think the options were there. And at the time, it suited it suited the playing style. I think this Chelsea team, it seems like having the two, the stability with the two, and I think actually Ericsson being out has allowed for the team to develop at different patterns. And I think they're becoming a little bit too predictable before. And I think this the, the four at the back seems like they have a little bit more cohesion and and, and obviously them numbers, numbers going forward. Well, let's bring Jess into this conversation now. Jess, Michael's with us. What are you interested in or what were you interested in having seen this game? I think for me, I've, I've watched Arsenal quite a few times this year just because I'm, I'm really good friends with, with Kimmy. So... I watched a lot of their games, obviously. And I guess, I don't know, I guess I wanted to ask what your thoughts are with regards to, they've conceded a lot of goals this year and I've watched them in the Champions League and in the league and they concede a lot through transition. And even in the game on the weekend, for the large periods of time, I felt, felt like Arsenal were in control and out of nowhere, Chelsea would have a pretty good chance, right? And so they would need to do that. That's just defending the you on about. So I just want your opinion on, from their tactical side of it, why do you think that even if they seem in control, they're so, still so open to conceding really kind of sloppy goals? Obviously, they got a clean sheet on the weekend, which was great, fine. But in the games all before that, they've been on a pretty bad run. I'm wondering why you think they seem to be conceding a lot of goals for the players that they have, really. It's a funny one because the centre-back partnership obviously is pretty new. I think it was the first time they'd started together. And it looks good on paper, but I think um, it felt like the problem here was sometimes just weren't really covering the space in midfield. And I think I think since he's come in, Jonas Eidevel's kind of struggled to find the right balance in that midfield three. I mean, you'll know better than me, Jess, but the, you, know, you need a different kind of combination of styles in there. And I think at times it's looked a little bit too technical at times it's looked a little bit too defensive and too negative but I mean I must say 
you know, the, like you said, they kept a clean sheet, but it was really keeping a clean sheet with a lot of last-ditch defending, wasn't it? And a lot of blocks yeah. and a lot of, yeah. you know, obviously at the end, I think they, I think even Leah Williamson feels like she got away with that one. And I thought her her performance overall, obviously, was her first time back after quite a period out out injured. But it's games like this where Arsenal have to do that kind of maybe more penalty box defending that I sometimes worry about. Leah Williamson, I remember being at this fixture a couple of years ago and she was up against Beth England and I think really struggled with the kind of physicality and the the intensity of playing against her. So I think the, the partnership seems better on paper with Williamson and, and Raphael Souza, who I thought had a good game until she went off. But it was interesting that, that when she did go off injured, uh, Idavel elected to to move uh, Leah Valti into the back rather than bring on another, yeah. uh, maybe more traditional defender like Jim Beattie. And you have to think maybe that's going back to the FA Cup final and how Beattie struggled with with basically covering the uh, the, the space in behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more of a technical pairing there with Valti in there. Michael, why didn't Chelsea's front line ultimately do it? Was it, you know, because of the good work from Arsenal's defence? I mean, you saw Sam Kerr have a couple of goes, Frank Kirby, Panella, Hardiguro, Wrighton too. They they certainly pressed hard enough, but why ultimately were they not successful, Chelsea? I mean, they created a couple of good chances, didn't they? There was there was one where Kerr in particular, I think, almost didn't connect with the ball. Mm. Um, I think they struggled to get harder into the game. I mean, this fixture last year, she was... She was a different. She scored two goals just round the game. Um, I thought a lot of their approach play was quite good. I think I think Guru Rotens in in really good form. I think she was uh, outstanding against Manchester City and and started well in this game. But yeah, it just didn't quite connect the uh, the balls to the to the right runs. And um, yeah, I, I think a couple of the, the chances they had, if if they are put away, probably we're not talking about the lack of creativity. But um, yeah, just didn't quite get it done mm. on the day. Jess, for you, in terms um, of Arsenal, I think they'll leave the game uh, a little bit happier. As as Michael said earlier, at the end of the day, they are still top of the league. But is this now the point where Arsenal can start to really push forward with the season after having quite a few stop and start moments? They've been patchy, haven't they? Uh, and that's continued after the winter break. Is this now the moment where Arsenal can really push on? Or have Chelsea got too much to offer, really, and and, and, and also have a game in hand, of course? Yeah, I think so. I think the one thing that Arsenal can and probably will take from the game on the weekend is is the performance, really. I think, you know, they have struggled since Christmas, even before Christmas, um, couldn't really put a performance together. And I think with teams like Arsenal and Chelsea and City, you know, if they, if they put a performance together, most likely they're going to get a result unless they play against each other, and then which case it's going to be down to chances and mistakes which we saw at the weekend so I think they can be really happy with that and I think they'll be really happy with the fact that they've got all their players back now and they can finally I mean I think that was the first time they've been able to put that kind of team together because they've got everyone there I mean they missed McCabe obviously but they had a lot of niggles before and they were like slotting players in positions and I think they can use that performance to really push on, not just in the league, but in the Champions League. Because I think with the way that they're going with dropping Viv in, I think that's going to be really important in Champions League because, as you know, you get further in Champions League and it's transition, transition. How good is your transition? How fast is your transition? And we've seen glimpses of what that front three with Viv dropping in, Kimmy being like a little eight. You know, they if they can 
play more games together like that, I think they're just going to get better and better. So I think they can look forward to that. Both managers pretty happy at the end of the game. Emma Hayes described the game as a cracker, a great game of football between two of the best sides. Ida Vell said, I think everyone should be satisfied with the football and said it was a good advert for the game. But he also said, Michael, that that game shouldn't have been at King's Meadow, really. There were 3,300 fans in attendance, what they called a sellout, but obviously a stand is closed there. But Ida Vell said it deserved to be in front of 30,000 fans. Is that a point taken? Should, you know, both clubs have thought about whether this game should have been given more profile, given the importance of it? Possibly. I mean, I suppose it depends on on what level of ticket sales you're going to get. I, I, t- I tend to think just playing it at a packed house is, is a really good look for the women's game. Um, obviously, we didn't have that because one stand was, was closed. But I don't know. I mean, if, obviously, if you're selling 40,000 tickets, then Stanford Bridge would be great. If you're going to sell 10, 12,000 tickets, then I almost feel like you'd rather just sell the five or 6,000 and have a capacity crowd at Kingsmeadow because I think the atmosphere really benefits from that. But um, yeah, it's, it's in, it'll be interesting to kind of look at the the attendance figures at the end of the, the season because it does feel like things are going in the right direction, but the, that doesn't always stack up in terms of the numbers. I mean, I do think it's worth questioning quite why one stand is being closed. I know... Claire works at Chelsea might have more information on this than me, but it's for COVID protocols, they say, but or COVID restrictions. But from what I can tell, it's basically just because the dugouts have been extended into the stand, which means that one entire stand isn't really being used for, for fans going in. That seems slightly odd to me. And the fact that the game sold out about 10 days early would suggest that there was probably, who knows, a thousand fans or so that, that couldn't be accommodated. So yeah. I do think that's slightly strange. Raf, with your Chelsea hat on. Um, you know what? I, don't, I actually don't know the answer to that. I think they're obviously probably looking to expand, expand the stadium in the near future. I did question that myself because especially how the cameras, if you watch it on TV, you can see the cameras. It also looks like one side of the stadium's empty, which is not. It's a sellout. But yeah, I can't answer that with any facts, unfortunately. We'll send her back to head office with that feedback, Michael. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> just finally from you, Michael, I suppose, you know, such an important point in the season for both sides, really. Pretty evenly matched this game. As I said, I think both of us agree that Arsenal will be the happier just based based on how they left the game and what they came out of the game with and their table position. But what is your take on where both teams are? They've both bought in players, uh, well, Arsenal have brought in um, significant players during uh, the window. Where do you see this title race going? I'd still have Chelsea as the favourites, I think, because of their experience of winning it. Because when you look at their kind of underlying statistics, I think they're, they're probably playing better than Arsenal. They also don't have the distraction of Champions League football, which is obviously a massive blow for Chelsea. After our last season ended, they'd love to still be in the Champions League. But I think that freshness will probably help them in the uh, in the league title race. So, yeah, I, I'd still have Chelsea as the favourites. The only caveat is... They do have a funny habit, Chelsea, of dropping points in games where you just wouldn't expect them to. And, you know, as I said earlier, that's what the title race is about now. The the head-to-head games are out of the way, assuming there's not going to be a third or fourth team getting involved in the title race, which I think we can relatively safely say won't be the case. So it's just going to be about winning the games that, that everyone else expects you to win. And, um, yeah, that should be really intriguing between now and the end of the campaign because, um, yeah. There's, there's more points being dropped this season than you would normally expect in the WSL, which I think makes things very exciting. Yeah, it certainly does. Jess, your thoughts on where both these two teams go now? Arsenal at the top, but Chelsea with a game in hand. From what you've seen, where's your money on? 
Yeah, I think I think personally with the fact that Chelsea don't have Champions League, their sole focus will be on wanting to remain WSL champions. Obviously, they're going to be super disappointed that they got knocked out of the Champions League the way that they did. And so I think that, you know, the WSL then will just be their or their sole focus and it'll be do they have the kind of grit to to do that? And I think they have not only the grit, but they have the quality to do it as well. So I d- do I think they're going to drop points? Probably not. So I would say Chelsea for sure. But I think that if they do drop points, Arsenal will 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 see it through if that happens. Yeah, it's just whether Chelsea can stay focused to kind of win that because I think it'll be super disappointing for Chelsea to not they didn't follow through with Champions League and then and then to not then also win win the league. I think you know with the players that they have and the money that they spend that that's going to be like a a pretty big. Not a failure, but you know what I mean. They should be, they should be, you know, in the final of the Champions League or semi-finals at least, and then, and then, yeah, up there with this kind of title. One thing to note is that Chelsea have perhaps got slightly harder a run in. They've got Manchester United to meet, but yeah, we shall see. It makes it exciting, doesn't it? A big thank you to Athletics Michael Cox for joining us for that chat. So it's some really interesting stuff to discuss there. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can listen to the rest of the show by searching for the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, sponsored by Now on all major podcast platforms. Our usual tactics show will be out at the same time this week. The Athletic.